0: Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series brought to you by Storians. We believe that the best way to communicate with anyone is to make them feel something, and that the best way to do that is through the power of stories. So in this series, we celebrate stories that matter. And in this episode, I was delighted to chat with Steve Hill from Auticon, an award-winning social innovation company, supporting neurodivergent talent. In their own words, Auticon's mission is to tell the world that autism isn't a processing error, but an entirely different operating system. And one that brings with it the opportunity to transform the workplace. How do we move perceptions of autistic people in the workplace? How can we bring neurodiversity education to more leaders everywhere? And why does that matter? This is an episode not to be missed if you care about and value diversity in every walk of life. I hope you enjoy it. I've been so looking forward to this chat uh, and I can't wait for what the next 35 to to 40 minutes um, unveils. But so appreciate you joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be
0: here. Um, We are discussing this morning a a hugely important subject, and I know one that is enormously close to your heart. I've described you, I think, as a neurodiversity evangelist. Um, But just before we get into the kind of meat of the subject, I wonder whether you could just give us a a little flavour of who you are, what Auticon does, uh, and in a sense, you know why why you are spending your life now um, doing something as important as you are.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I've been at Auticon for just over two years now at time of recording. So, uh, my background is, is is largely Tier One tech. But I think you know, with myself and many of my colleagues, we all have uh, a personal connection. Um, which kind of led us to to do what we do and i think you know that's extremely powerful and i think that's something that maybe we'll we'll come back and discuss as we as we get through the Conversation, Gary. But um, you know what, what we try and do is to really, you know, leverage and, and to find those advocates in organisations that that have that personal connection. You know, what we do is about creating a bit of a movement, frankly. Um, so at Auticon, yeah, we are a, an organisation that's just over twelve years old. Uh, we were started um, quite importantly, actually, but we were started out of a parent's anxiety for their child. Uh, So our our original founder uh, had an autistic son and the transition between education and the workplace can be extremely challenging because uh, employment processes, practices, um, whilst they're getting better now, uh, they still aren't in a great place overall uh, to really uh, help Neurodivergent people uh, get into work. So that's really uh, how the company was born. So if we fast forward, you know, pretty much 12 and a, and a bit years later, we're now in 15 countries. Uh, we've got 465 plus and counting uh, disclosed autistic IT consultants. And really, as a social enterprise, our our mission is to help organisations to really leverage our experience and, and do what we do. So as, a, as ambitious an organisation as we are, we really understand that true scale uh, in, in realising our social mission is by enabling our clients to do what we do. So we Effectively put our client, uh, our consultants into client organisations to help augment IT projects, and and we're constantly sort of asking the the rhetorical question of you know why should that client care? So we've got to be very compelling, clearly as a business. So you know we are really tapping into the fact that there is a global shortage of skills in certain aspects of IT. So we tend to specialize in those areas. So things like data science, data engineering, cybersecurity, and software design. So kind of compelling reason to engage is is kind of box number one ticked. But actually, that's when it starts to, to really ramp up in terms of importance, because we're not a recruitment agency, we're not a body shop in any way. We are providing people uh, as disclosed autistic adults into the working environment and we are helping to coach that organization through what we term a lived experience. So that's really how we've grown and 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 really developed over the, the last 12 and a bit years. Um, and then we bookend our our kind of core service with education and advisory so everything we do is very much about enablement of our clients
0: yeah and and i think um thank you for that and, and i think there's a lot to unpick there and, and and obviously what i'm very keen to do on this podcast is to give people um a sense of some of the societal challenges some of the organizational challenges and and, and indeed some of the people challenges i think you know, as it pertains very much to the issue and the opportunities of, of neurodiversity and neurodivergent workplaces. Um, and so I'd like, if I could, just to bring you back to, um, right back to the beginning. And, and, and if you could, in, in as straightforward a way as you can, just explain the, 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 the concept of neurodiversity and also just touch on if you could, why is it so important? Um, why is it that 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 we are increasingly seeing so many companies and and so many individuals, organizations, um I, I guess I'm gonna say waking up to the fact um that the most diverse teams are the best teams and that growth through diversity matters so much. But maybe if I could, let's just go back to the beginning explain it tell us why it's so important
1: so neurodiversity is a term that was coined in the late 90s by judy singer uh, a psychologist and and really it was uh, to highlight the fact that there is no one type or style of cognitive functioning or ability and that all brains are in fact unique so it's it's part of the the kind of natural variations in the human genome. So it, it it's a very when you when you kind of think of it in those terms, it, it kind of makes sense um, that we all respond to internal and external uh, stimulus and stresses in our environment in, in a different way. You know, we all express um, emotion differently. We process and interpret information differently. So it's an umbrella term, I think. You know, it's then really about digging into what is neurodivergence. Um, so if neurodiversity is the umbrella term for brain differences, then neurodivergent refers to conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, uh, dyscalculia, which represent specific neurological changes in the brain that give rise to specific differences in behavior, information processing, and emotion regulation. So now that we've got the definitions out of the way i think you know fundamentally what, what what we advocate is that from a you know why is this important perspective it really comes down to the fact that you know if if you want different results you you need to try and do things you know slightly differently you know we all know organizations particularly maybe large organizations that employ a certain type of person now whether that's background socioeconomic uh, qualifications but if you employ the same type of people you're going to get the same type of results and i think the world is changing as you alluded to you know people are waking up to the fact that um you know these these terms are gaining in awareness frankly And I guess there's kind of two bits to that. There's the kind of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion aspect, um, which I guess up until a few years ago was largely focused on uh, gender and ethnicity. But now the term neurodiversity is becoming a lot more widely understood. But even so, there are, uh, and to be expected really, but there are kind of aspects of of organisations that kind of see it as a bit of a box ticking exercise, Mm. Um, a bit like gender pay gap conversations and and things like that, you know, and, and of course, the world wants to move forward and is proactive, we're not suggesting for a moment that, you know, there are bad actors that want to slow down progress. But actually, what what we do is to really get into the sleeves rolled up scenario, really try and exemplify why, why this is important to organizations. So I touched on the fact that there is a skills gap, Uh, but, but obviously neurodivergence really extends way beyond that of IT. So, you know, it's really about using that as an example to say you organizations need to be cognizant of, you know, Gen Z. Um, and what that part of society is looking for when entering into the workplace. And they're looking at environmental, social governance, the ESG uh, aspects of an organisation, how they're projecting themselves, what their stance is, what is their rhetoric around these subjects, before even deciding to join an organisation. So the way that employment is being approached is very, very different. So, if you flip that over and you look at it from an organisational point of view, um, organisations that are predicting skills shortages, skills gaps, which arguably there's there's a, you know, a fair few of those around, particularly financial services, have done lots of studies around you know how that sector is going to be affected by skills gaps. But it, it's really important that the organisation really does have a position on it and again, it kind of comes back to the fact that it can't really be ignored. I mean, in certain instances, there are frameworks where reporting is, is kind of mandatory and, you know, companies are figuring out how to collect data around ESG without, or indeed move beyond the environmental aspects. You know, the S in ESG from a social perspective is really one of the keys for, for organisations to be able to differentiate, to really in uh, to make sure that they are capturing that future talent pipeline and also to be able to retain their current employees as well. So when we think about the benefits, it's not just a philanthropic nice to do. This is about, you know, hard and fast business logic, which says, you know, for us to continue and to be profitable and to keep up with our competition, we have to be really cognizant of this. You know, how are we attracting uh, people to our organisation? And conversely, 15% of the population is neurodivergent. So can we really afford... To ignore fifteen percent of our either existing workforce or indeed our future workforce and our talent acquisition pipelines, I think your yeah. answer to that, Gary, is is a firm no.
0: Yeah, a very firm no, I would say. And it's interesting you talk about ESG. I, I quite often refer to the S actually as the rose between two thorns, right? Because you know the environmental governance issues are well trodden and everybody knows them, and and, and the S which, you know, organizations interpret in a variety of ways, don't they? Some talk about stakeholders, some talk about societal. Um, But I I think it's a really important point you make. I I guess one of the things I'm interested in is is this seems to be one of those areas where ignorance probably abounds. And almost the further up the chain you get in an organization, the less you might feel able to admit that ignorance because actually you're a team leader, you're leading an organization, and you almost don't want to uh, ask the stupid questions. I just wonder whether how many CEOs would be able to articulate the difference between neurodiversity and neurodivergence, for example. Maybe lots, I've got no idea. How much of a problem, though, do you think it is um, that, that at the very top of organizations that you're talking to, that there is still a very, very long way to go before you feel confident that we're in a world which has truly embraced neurodiversity its role in the workforce what's your experience over the last 2 years steve are, are, are we are we very far away from being in the right place or do you see you know green shoots if you like or signs that the world is heading in the right direction
1: there's lots of green shoots, Gary. I mean, my glasses is just always more than half full. Um, so we can't look at it, and I can't look at it in any other way. I think you know everyone. The way that we position it is, you don't know what you don't know. And I think you know our our role is is really as a um, a trusted advisor, and it's not to point out shortcomings. It's really to point out the fact that it is a journey. And by recognising that it's a journey, it doesn't matter where you are on the journey, but that there is one to actually jump on board with and actually make some commitments around. Um, And depending on the size of the organisation, there's so many variables, you know, in terms of sectors, size of organisation, all kinds of things. But actually, the recognition is the most important part. Um, but it does take time, you know. This is a, if we if we use the comparison wrongly, so in many ways. But still, if we use the comparison of gender and ethnicity, you know th- th- that takes a, a long time um, yeah. to permeate yeah. and to really change from a cultural perspective within an organization.
0: Yeah, you've talked a lot about a bit about um, your role in helping. Autistic people enter the workplace, and 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 your important role in um, helping fill those skills gaps. Um, I'm interested in what happens when they get into the workplace, because I guess there are two parts to this, co- uh, two sides to this coin, aren't there? There's the how can organisations like yours help promote the importance of neurodiversity, help promote the importance of diverse teams. Um, And the other part is the responsibility on the employer to then create the conditions in which those people thrive. And and I'm interested in that bit as well. If I'm an employer, a team leader sitting here um, listening to this podcast, do we have a problem there in, in organizations? What are the opportunities? And how many people who are potentially neurodiverse will open up to that? to their employer and therefore create an environment of openness? I mean, there's a few questions there in one, aren't there? But I suppose I'm trying to unpack the what happens in the workplace that supports and helps what you're doing.
1: So I, th- I think, you know, from our perspective, we, we tend to take the view that we need to change perceptions, shift attitudes, mitigate fear and risk. Um, and again, you know, all, all in, in one, really. But the way that we do that. Is by firstly, and again stating the obvious, we're putting an openly disclosed, diagnosed autistic adult into a team of people. Now, if you think about that without the autocon kind of element attached to it, that's very rarely um, a scenario that you would see in a workplace because either people don't uh, disclose uh, managers don't know how to you know, accept that information Do they, and how to treat that information amongst their team members. So that's big barrier number one, overcome. We're all kind of yeah. upfront and open. But I think in terms of practicalities and really the secret to, to our success has been we don't, we're, we're not an employment agency. We're not a body shop. We don't just provide a person and that's it. You know, we make sure that we're actually coaching in real time, both the client and obviously our consultant. So typically, people join our organisation as consultants because either they've really struggled to get into the workplace or they've had uh, bad experiences within the workplace. And so, again, we provide that support. Now, our job coaches, they're not technical in any way. They're not project managers. They are coaches, coaches. And they're there to act as a bridge between the consultant and the client. And they will work with the client team. Now, typically that might just be one or two people and and help them to really understand what that um, what our consultant is all about to help manage certain situations. And this is practical. This is practical sleeves rolled up stuff. You know, so if we think about um, you know what a typical week or, or month looks like. You know, if we think about daily stand-up calls, project review meetings, this is about coaching that client to say, is there an agenda in place? Does our consultant know what role they're expected to play on that call? Are they in listen-only mode? Are they expected to present to the group? Are they expected to ask questions? Now, some of these sorts of things kind of border or overlap into group dynamics or just the culture of the organization, but it's about transparency. So by being clear and unambiguous in, in communication, being up front, it reduces anxiety. And not just with our consultant as well. This is this is applicable to anyone joining an organization who isn't necessarily uh you know familiar with the unwritten rules of the office. Yeah, yeah. So of course. so fundamentally we are helping those individuals to become better managers. You know, this is about empathy. You know, certain large organizations and, and certainly, you know, organizations that I've been a part of in my career, you know, you're promoted by having uh, been given people respons- people management responsibility to your title. No one teaches you necessarily how to be a good manager, certainly not from a an empathetic perspective. And so yeah. when you're looking you know, behind the scenes, as it were, you know, as to, to what makes people tick, you know, it's it, it, you you could suddenly get yourselves into all kinds of, you know, uh, unfamiliar territories, you know, not necessarily understanding uh, about neurodivergent conditions and therefore lack that empathy to really help that person become the best versions of themselves in the workplace. Yeah. I think, you know, w- we often... You know, caveat everything we do by sort of saying, without oversimplifying, but people want two things. They want to be accepted for who they are and they want to be appreciated for the work that they do. Yeah. And everything that we do tries to kind of underpin those two philosophies.
0: And being accepted for who you are and being appreciated for what you do just seems to me to be, uh, yeah, pretty significant. Leadership traits as well. I mean, just generally, as your point is, um, you know, you would have ex- you would expect that anyway, wouldn't you, of uh, any decent leader? Um, just coming on to something that, that uh, it strikes me as we're talking. Um, imagine if you would that I uh, that, that that you have in front of you, um, a leader, a team leader who really does not understand the issue of neurodiversity, they are worried that they've got people in their team who may well be neurodivergent. They're worried that they're not doing enough to help people in their team um, disclose, open up. They're worried that they are um, just off the pace, really, when it comes to understanding what to do, how to do it. What would your advice be to that? team leader that boss that's the where, where would where do they start
1: so i think i think awareness and a bit of education um actually gary what, what we're not so suggesting is that you know everyone in a, in a team or an organization should disclose because you know there's lots of reasons why people maybe don't want to or feel that they shouldn't have to So that's not necessarily what we're advocating. I think, you know, there's a a fine nuance there between creating an environment where people who want to and feel comfortable to disclose can, such that they can get the support they might need. That's a, a different thing entirely. But from a leader or a manager perspective, ignorance is no excuse, really. Um, so it's about just having that understanding and the awareness of, of what is neurodivergence how does it how can it present and what are the, the simple things as I just you know explained you know things like clear unambiguous communication you know any of these things that we recommend as part of our sort of training you know, th- none of them are big things in isolation but you put them all together and they make such a massive difference yeah uh, because it just reduces that anxiety people like to know you know what's expected of them you know instructions such as do the best you can as soon as as quickly as you can means nothing it means it means nothing, period. It hmm. certainly doesn't mean anything <laughs> to somebody with with autism. You know, yeah. it's about specific, specificity and and being very clear. Um, and I think it's those it's by putting some of those simple things into practice that actually means that you will radiate becoming a much better, more empathetic leader or, or manager. Because actually, people managers are the front line you know yeah. quite often you know we we do a lot of work with hr teams chief people officers and absolutely we we need that process to be uh, much more inclusive but when it comes to how the culture can be influenced and reinforced and changed it's people managers who are the front line
0: yeah uh, and i'm grateful to you um it, it actually for not having used this podcast as a um Uh, uh, as a piece of promotion because i guess one of the answers you could have given would be pick up the phone to us because actually as an organization we are transitioning and i'm talking about auticon now not my company auticon are transitioning aren't they from or aren't you to 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 being an organization which now is 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 offering a much wider array of services and starting to help organizations understand how they can embrace these issues and how they can uh, you know turn them into real opportunities so i guess one of the answers to my questions could be pick up the phone to steve because he'll, he's got a real point of view about how he can help any organization on the planet is that right
1: the, uh, ab- absolutely but i think you know being a social enterprise, Gary is is extremely liberating. So yes, we're here to, to you know to be uh, self sustaining, and and by by that I mean we we have to make money to to carry on and realize our our goals and expansion plans. But at the same time, we're not driven by the wrong behaviour, um, and and so we take the view that there's there's lots of organisations in this space, but refreshingly we're all trying to do the same thing and we're all trying to make a positive impact and and to, to make positive changes in society, which sounds extremely sort of, you know, philanthropic at its heart. And I guess, you know, it, it, it is. But at the same time, um, we measure our social impact. We publish our results. Um, we're not uh, you know we're not just all about trying to to you know win win projects or sell training or anything like that we're about the bigger picture which again as i say is extremely liberating
0: and in that sense you are blessed in actually doing something that is making a huge difference in the world um and uh, there aren't many people that can say that actually so um I just want to come on to celebrate. I mean, you referred earlier to you very much have a half-full view of, I mean, I know you a bit, so I I can say you very much got a half-full view to the world full stop, actually, but um, as it pertains to these issues, I know you've got very much a half-full view, and certainly the organization does. And I just wonder whether we could spend five, six, seven minutes celebrating neurodiversity. I'd like to talk to you about, all of the many brilliant strengths that neurodiverse people, um, neurodivergent people have. I'd like to talk to you about, um, you know, some of the ways in which you um, see uh, the difference that they can make. Um, I know you and I occasionally have disagreed when I've uh, tried to suggest to you that my own view is that maybe it's a, a superpower and, and you don't like that. And I know you don't. And, and you can probably explain to me again why I'm, I'm wrong, but also maybe to our, our listeners. But, yeah, let's just spend five minutes celebrating and, and, and talking about it. Um, what are the what are the amazing things that you've witnessed? What are the amazing things that you know? What are the extraordinary things that neurodivergent people bring to organisations?
1: So, Very deliberately, Gary, uh, and um, obviously this is a question that um, comes up quite a bit, and and very deliberately, I always answer this to start with, um, with honest, impartial, and authentic communication. And and the reason I start with that is because, again, it's something which in a work environment is extremely rare, And, and not because, you know, we're, we're bad people or anyone's a bad actor or anything like that. But it's, it, it's extremely refreshing. Um, and, and the reason for it is that there's no politics. Um, if you want an unbiased, honest and impartial view of a task or process, then it's more likely that an autistic person will be able to provide an evidence-based recommendation. And so that cuts through a lot of politics and emotion and all that type of stuff. Not to say that, you know, people with autism aren't aren't emotional and can't display that, but it's immensely refreshing in the workplace. I think we've all been in many, many situations where, you know, that isn't the case. Um, So that's my starting point always, um, which is just great and probably not one that um, quite often is, is expected. But then, you know, we start getting into things like cognitive abilities, um, and again, I'm sort of looking at this through the the kind of lens of of our consultants as well, and I've got to be careful not to generalise too much because, you know, not everyone with autism clearly is is you know coming up through the academic ranks, focused on STEM subjects and computer science and data analytics and that kind of stuff. But with with the Uh, With consultants that we employ, we we look for certain things. Um, So things like logical analysis, pattern matching, periods of sustained concentration. Um, These are all things that actually are more pronounced um, in our consultants. And when we when we're recruiting, we, we typically look at the uh, the academic background and, and we're not necessarily looking for people that have been the traditional route through university because there could be lots of reasons why people don't go that route, but it doesn't mean that they're not qualified and don't have those uh, abilities. But academic is is number one. The te- the technical testing, and this is baselining, so we, we kind of test all of our consultants just to make sure that we know where they're at on that kind of um on that scale of of kind of uh, uh, technical ability, whether it be in certain platforms, programs, whatever it may be, and the cognitive side is is extremely interesting. You know, we have our kind of proprietary tests that we do, and the reason we do that is because, again, this comes back to a knowledge and awareness piece really but the, the term autism spectrum tends to suggest a very linear scale that perhaps at one end someone isn't very autistic and conversely at the other end they are much more autistic now that isn't the case what we what we um, tend to use is, is the term spiky profile so if you imagine a circle with certain characteristics around the outside and a, a scale of 0 to 10 radiating from the center outwards all of those scores are going to be slightly different. And if you were to join up the, the dots, as it were, you, you'd start to get a very kind of spiky kind of picture. And that's probably the best way of explaining the fact that everyone's different. You know, this might yeah. be stating the obvious, but it's really about having a that kind of 360 view of that person means that, you know, myself and, and my colleagues, when we're talking to clients, we're not just... We're not just trying to put someone that's got three years Python experience into a data science team, for example. What we're trying to understand is what is what are the environmental conditions that's really going to make that person thrive? Um, so is it a large team, for example? Is this a, a repeatable, predictable project where um, it's it's kind of termed business as usual? Or is it more innovation based that needs a little bit more um uh, thinking a little bit, a, a slightly different approach. Is there, you know, a smaller number of team members? What are their backgrounds? And we really try and get under the skin of what is that profile of not only the role but the team and the project. And so, by putting that person in to that team, we do, we, do, we, we don't send a whole bunch of CVs because we're not a recruitment agency. We we put forward if we have someone, one person, possibly two but one person. And that isn't for the client to make a choice of. This is to say, this is who we recommend. This is the reasons why. There are no interviews in in our process. And then we have what we call a meet and greet. And that's really a conversation like this, to be honest, Gary, where we get in front of the client and our consultant, and it gives everyone a chance to talk about the organisation, the team, the project, to maybe get into the, the weeds a little bit around some of the technical day-to-day stuff. But how refreshing a process is that? Compare yeah. that to a typical interview process yeah, whereby you asked a whole bunch of questions that you don't know what they're going to be asking you. Any sort of an extended processing time whilst you're thinking of the answer can be seen as an uncomfortable pause or silence. And it, you know, you're, you're in a shop window environment where arguably – you're trying to embellish what you've done in the past, which in some way is going to influence someone's decision on your capabilities for the future. It it, it doesn't make any
0: sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite. I um, mean and actually what I'm hearing <clears throat> what I'm hearing in this chat is very much your view that and I'm going to use the word normalizing and and, and it's probably the wrong word and, and apologies if it is, but what, what, what you're really saying to us is, look, and I believe this passionately, by the way, every human being is unique. It's one of the great things about life. You know, one of the reasons that our, our, we passionately believe in the power of creativity, because every human being is unique. What you're also saying is every brain is unique. And that if we begin to adopt some of the frankly, basic rules of leadership, the basic rules of managing teams, the basic rules of managing people, which is, can you clearly communicate? Can you clearly direct? Can you clearly articulate what you're asking of that individual? Can you actually make sure that they're thanked for what they do, and that they are celebrated for who they are? That in a way, that that provides the framework for many of the answers to the questions of how do we embrace neurodiversity how do we understand it more is that true because if you say yes to that I've got a follow-up question that I suppose gets to the slightly stickier end of these debates but would you say that's broadly true
1: I I would absolutely say yes and I'd add to that in the sense of leaders work for their team members not the other way around so if if you adapt that viewpoint and you're th- always thinking, how can I best support that member of my team uh, to, to do the best job they can, then that's that's the kind of equation. That's the magic yeah. formula that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, in which case, I'm just going to finish this bit of the podcast because I want to come on and talk to you about something else you do in your spare time, given this is a podcast called Stories That Matter, and you have at least one other string to your bow I'm interested in. On the basis of what I've just said, how helpful, therefore, are the labels, right? Th- these labels that people talk about, neurodiversity, neurodivergent, it strikes me that, that rather unhelpfully they've become labels. And it also strikes me that rather unhelpfully the terms have become somewhat medicalized. And, and I wonder whether that really does inhibit and get in the way of of doing all the things that we have just talked about accepting that everyone's unique accepting that every brain's unique accepting that diversity is massively important for growth individually and professionally do the labels help and has it become medicalized and is that a problem and do we need to move away from that
1: so again this this is a big subject i think you know, from a, a labels point of view, there, there's aspects of labels which are medicalised. And, and for exactly that reason, you know, if you, if, you th- if you take autism, it is classed as a disability. And so therefore, there is a legal obligation for an employer to make reasonable adjustments for that individual. So in that particular example, um, I think it, it's useful because you know to be diagnosed uh, actually means that you can then open up uh, a series of, of conversations with an employer, and it may be you know as as a dis- getting the workplace as a disability that individual is is um, able to claim certain benefits and, and things like that. So let's not forget yeah. that you know on just the scale of autism, you know there is a wide. A wide range of of kind of um, um, uh, people on the spectrum, um, yeah. including a, a you know a, a very kind of large percentage actually that are nonverbal, and yeah. so their needs and requirements are very very different to to someone that's actually in the workplace uh, performing a task. And so again, everyone's different. Yeah. But I think in that instance, Gary, to, to your point. It, it, it is useful um, to make sure that people get the right support um, yeah. that they need.
0: Yeah, okay, it's a good reminder. Um, just before we move on to your, I'm going to call it a side hustle, but it's not, is it? Because it's an important, <laughs> it's an important part. I'm giving it's a tease of this because people are now thinking, blimey, what's Steve's side hustle?" But we'll come on to it in two seconds. Um, just to to, to end the, the 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 main body of this podcast, um, um, I want to. you know metaphorically I want to learn more about neurodiversity I want to understand it more I want to feel that I'm increasing my own knowledge of it and my own understanding of it both for my own benefit and and um and my organization's benefit and there'll be people out there who are thinking that where do they go? What's the first port of call? What could they read? What could they listen to? So could at that point, watch? Gary,
1: they absolutely need to pick up the phone and call us. <laughs> <laughs> and what about what about your podcast? They probably need to listen to that, don't they? Isn't this an opportunity um, to it, it, plug your podcast? Exactly, Pl- plugs plugging away. So um, uh, one one of the f- very first things that we did when, when I, I arrived at Auticon is that we we did our own podcast, and and not. As, a, as an embellished kind of sales tool in any way, this is about trying to bring value and, and education and awareness to some of these really gnarly subjects. You know, we talk about intersectionality. We talk about female diagnosis. And actually what we've seen is that, you know, we've we've built quite a, uh, a, quite a following, not only in terms of listenership, but also just in terms of, Uh, influencers in social media who've got that voice and we bring them in and we talk about very similar in a very similar way to this very conversational um it's hosted by carrie grant who um, uh, is a bbc presenter and bbc london presenter and has been on tv and stuff like that um not not for just Sprinkling stardust on something here, but she's got four neurodivergent children, so she's right in the weeds of all of right. this stuff, and is very passionate about this subject. Clearly, and and uh, an extraordinarily fantastic facilitator of these conversations, and and it's it's really about prompting conversations in the right way um, mm. and getting the conversation going, but. So that, that's available wherever you get your podcasts. So it's called um, Autism in Conversation with Autocon. Uh, we're into our fourth uh, season now. Um, so it's something which I'm personally very passionate about. And we've been very lucky to have people like Anne Hegerty really being very open about her autism autism experiences and you know just her day-to-day life of, of how she gets up in the morning and how she gets herself into the position of being able to to really crack on with her day and it's a really mm. insightful listen to mm. to get under the skin of, of some of these folks that uh, we have on as guests
0: so yeah okay well that's yeah I think that's a very good start point um we could do with a decent host for our podcast actually so i wonder if uh, <laughs> i wonder if we should turn to the bbc actually um yeah memo to self might consider that um brilliant steve thanks for that i mean a tremendous listen it, it, the reason i was so keen to have you on this podcast is is clearly it's a story that matters I mean, it's more than a story, isn't it? But, you know, the importance of understanding neurodiversity, the importance of its role in the workplace, the importance of knowing that the most diverse teams are, are the most effective teams, you know, and, and, and this is really just, I hope, the beginnings of people listening to this and, and wanting to find out more and, and, and asking themselves, you know, perhaps some of the questions we've asked. So we, we were never going to be able to cover everything uh in detail and um but I hope it's given some people some food for thought I hope it's uh, begun to, to 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 help people ask some questions they may have asked themselves before and 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 you know learn and find out more and educate yourself and be open to you know the many and varied opportunities and challenges that that these issues these issues raise so I'm really grateful for you having covered those um, Lastly, onto your side hustle. Uh, we like stories. We like storytelling, as you know. We think storytelling is the, the route to fantastic, fabulous communication and the story arc that has been used for forever uh, by Pixar, um, Aristotle, um, the great novelists, and some of the great communicators has never changed. You like stories too. And I'm interested now in you telling the world, or at least our little world that listened to this. What is your side hustle?
1: So, my side hustle is uh, as a child children's author, <laughs> uh, 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 and and um, it's the hardest thing I can possibly think of doing, Gary. The the motivation actually for it actually came from my youngest son who is dyslexic. And when he was a lot younger, he 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 faced the, the challenges, um, you know, that everyone with dyslexia arguably faces. But actually, what I observed was that the it wasn't just about the the reading and writing. Um, and you know, we 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 got him some extra help for that, which is which is fine. But it was more how he felt, how it made him feel uh, in front of you know his peers and and things like that. And so the idea came around, you know, how can we how can we try and help him get in a little bit more into enjoying stories without necessarily um, facing that blocker of, of reading? So we, we sort of came up with the idea of some characters based on the family and things like that, and he was quite young at the time. So, you know, it was quite funny to, to make fun of certain people in the family and give them a big nose and all this kind of stuff and <laughs> sort of turn them into little kind of, you know, characters caricatures of themselves but one thing led to another and 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 fundamentally it really kind of helped him get into kind of audiobooks a little bit so yeah. different media to enjoy and consume stories so i thought well why don't we just keep going keep going and by this time he got a bit older and you know he was on his own path and that was great but i kept going with this because i thought well actually if if you know this approach helped him then maybe it might help a few other people so mm-hmm. fast forward a few years um, and I, I kind of just assembled some some great uh, ambassadors, helpers from the world of, of kind of literature and books, um, a world that I've not really been a part of. I'm not a writer in any way, but fundamentally, uh, we created a series of, of audio books um, narrated by Gemma Whelan of Game of Thrones, um, and we we got them out there, and they're on Audible and. all all the kind of main um, audiobook platforms around the world. And we then thought, well, why don't we just try and take it into print? But let's try and do that a little bit differently. So we've just got uh, the first of the the stories into the shops, and we actually used a dyslexic-friendly font to, again, help. And it's not its not about dyslexia. The stories aren't about neurodiversity. The stories are about kids interacting. They have adventures. It's aimed really at sort of six to eight-year-old girls. And she's the main um, kind of hero. Uh, she's got her nemesis. And Gemma Whelan beautifully kind of brings those characters to life on the audiobooks. But it's about bringing together, you know, uh, friendship and, and peer relationships and the struggles that kids have, albeit kind of modest at those sorts of, of ages, but it's very deliberately trying to tackle some soft learning objectives that things are often better, problems are better solved when you're kind of working as part of a little team, as part of Jenny Many and her little gang, and we're trying to bring some of that goodness back from some of the the characters in stories that maybe, and cartoons and TV programs that maybe you and I consumed when we were growing up. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. a healthy dollop of, you know, Famous Five and all that kind of stuff, but actually bring it into the modern age. We're very kind of, we bring forward technology, um, we don't demonise technology, but Kind of make sure it has its place, not to overconsume, and we bring things like empathy and kindness very much into the fore. Uh, so that's been quite a journey, but it's it's great to see it in a shop, Gary. I'm that's very humbling.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So tell us what they're called. Just so so...
1: the series is called Jenny Many, and yeah. uh,
0: the first in the series is Jenny Many Strikes Gold. Okay. And you can get it on Audible. You can get it in bookshops. Presumably you can order it on Amazon now, can you? You will be able to within days. Yeah. Exactly. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I um, I remember the first time I met you and um, we were chatting about a few things, weren't we? And you then mentioned that you had uh, done this. And I thought, wow, what an absolutely brilliant example uh, of somebody who not only um, had an idea, but then turned that idea into a concept and then actually made it happen. Uh, and there are not many people actually who end up um, doing that. So many people have ideas and uh, uh, and they fall by the wayside, but uh, absolutely hats off to you for doing that. And I'm so struck by one thing that I think potentially probably sums up a huge amount about you actually, but I was very struck when you were telling that story that the start point for you thinking about the idea was was very much about how your son felt and not, not how he thought, but how he felt and how it made him feel. Um, and, of course, that is a great start point, isn't it, for um, the ideas. It's a great start point for stories because ultimately, and I think we say this quite a lot, it, it's only if you can make people feel something that you can actually make them do something. And that yeah. is actually that is actually one of the great powers of storytelling in our view. I was just about to say it really
1: does underline the importance and the power of storytelling
0: yeah it really does and and on that note um given this is a podcast called stories that matter thank you Steve for your stories about the importance of neurodiversity and neurodivergence and uh, a big thank you for talking to us about your side hustle it's been a real pleasure thanks so much thank you for having me